<sighs> okay, here we go. You may have heard me say that you should do a particular exercise at a particular intensity, or your doctor may have told you to get 150 minutes of moderate to vigorous intensity exercise per week. Do you need to buy a fancy activity tracker or get a kinesiology degree to know exactly how intense these workouts should be? Now, the truth is that you probably already innately know how hard you're exercising. It's a thing called rating of perceived exertion, and it's already installed in your brain. And that's what this episode is all about. My name is Brock Armstrong. Welcome to Second Wind Fitness. But before we get started. As you've probably noticed, this podcast is no longer in production, but there are so many people who are still listening to each episode and reaching out to me for advice and help and support that I've decided to keep the dream and this podcast alive, which means I'm paying a few maintenance fees out of my pocket. And I don't mean to make this sound like a woe is me kind of affair, because it is indeed a pleasure to have created something that is being appreciated. But if you felt so inclined, you could go to brockarmstrong.com slash coffee to, yes, as it sounds, buy me a virtual coffee. And since coffee is easily my biggest vice, I'm what you would call a coffee snob, if you buy me a coffee, I can pay my hosting fees with all the coffee money that I save. So win-win situation here. So go to brockarmstrong.com slash coffee and help keep this podcast and my fancy coffee habit alive. That's brockarmstrong.com slash coffee. Now, way back in the 1980s, when we would put on our polyester short shorts, our striped knee-high sports socks, our terry towel head and wristbands, and go out for what was then called a jog, we didn't have activity trackers on our phone, we didn't have GPS on our wrist, we didn't have heart rate monitors in our hat, which really does exist, by the way. We would simply go out for an easy, a moderate, or a hard run or exercise session. And we still managed to not only be fit, probably more fit than most people today, but we also managed to qualify for things like the Commonwealth Games or the Boston Marathon or the Olympics. I know, right? I'm shocked as well. Well, how on earth did we ever manage to qualify for these high-level events and stay fit when we didn't know our splits, our current pace, or our heart rate zone? Well, unless you were fancy enough to have a coach with a stopwatch and a heart rate monitor on a golf cart, which honestly, Dr. Phil Maffetone tells stories about doing that back in the day, chasing his athletes around a track, riding in a golf cart with a huge heart rate monitor attached to them. It's nuts. But anyway, what you did do was use perceived exertion or PE. So what is PE? Well, perceived exertion is simply how hard you feel that your body is working at any given point during a workout. <laughs> Pretty simple, right? This includes things like your heart rate, your respiration, your perspiration or sweating, your muscle fatigue, and a bunch of other things. You know, all those delightfully exhilarating physical sensations that we experience during a workout. 
Using these factors to determine the amount of exertion you feel is a good estimate of your measurable variables such as heart rate, how many times your heart beats in a minute, or your lactate threshold, which is at what level of exertion your body manufactures lactic acid faster than it can flush it. It really is. I know, you're probably thinking, well, sure, Brock, that's fine if you aren't that serious, but for my training program, I need the accuracy of a watch that can measure down to the decimal point. Well, you know what? I'm here to tell you that you probably don't. Your own sense of your exertion is nearly as accurate as using the latest tech. The trick is to have a scale to judge it by. And that is where Swedish researcher Gunnar Borg comes in. Now, Gunnar Borg invented what we call the Borg scale, which matches how hard you feel you are working with numbers between 6 and 20. And yes, I know it seems weird to start at 6, but I'll explain later. The scale begins at no feeling of exertion, which is equal to 6, and tops out at very, very hard, which equals to 20. Simple, right? The moderate activities fall between fairly light, or 11, and somewhat hard, or 14, on the scale. Now, more vigorous activities equal 15 or higher, which is labeled as hard, very hard, or very, very hard. Now, okay, back to the number six thing. This is the cool part. Dr. Borg set the scale to start at six because, if used correctly, the scale would become an easy way to estimate heart rate. Now, if you multiply your Borg scale by 10, it gives you an approximate heart rate for a particular level of activity. And you know what? As crazy as that sounds, it has been tested time and time again and proven to not only be useful, but also very accurate. And I'll explain how they tested that, but first we have to pay our membership fees. Do you like to shop on Amazon.com and enjoy supporting this podcast? You do? Well, have I got a deal for you. If you start your Amazon shopping adventure by going to brockarmstrong.com slash Amazon, I will get a small percentage of the money that you spend. And the best part is that you don't pay anything extra. This all comes out of their pockets. Take that, Bezos. So next time you buy anything on Amazon, go to brockarmstrong.com slash Amazon and shop while also supporting this podcast. I truly thank you for being a listener and for your support. That's brockarmstrong.com slash Amazon. Now back in 1973, the American College of Sports Medicine did a study titled The Validity and Reliability of Rating Scale of Perceived Exertion, where they used the Borg Rating Scale. They took eight lean and eight obese subjects and tested whether they could perceive small differences in the work intensity even when the workloads were presented in a random order. Now, the results were compared with the results they had obtained during an earlier progressive exercise test where they moved progressively through different exertion levels. 
They tested each subject twice, and the testing order of the two protocols and also the order of the workloads used during the random tests were assigned using a Latin square design, which is not really relevant, but basically it means they were following some good scientific protocol. And in the end, there were no significant differences in any of the physiological or perceptual variables between the two types of the test protocols. Coefficients and reliability for both procedures were high. Then, in 2013, there was a cohort study done in the European Journal of Applied Physiology called Associations Between Borg's Rating of Perceived Exertion and Physiological Measures of Exercise Intensity, where they evaluated the association between Borg's RPE and physiological exercise parameters in a very large population. Now, this one included 2,560 Caucasian men and women. And no, there were no non-white participants, but uh, at least they included women this time. Eh, somewhat better, maybe. But anyway, their ages were between 17 and 44 years old, and they completed incremental exercise tests on treadmills and stationary bikes. Their heart rate, their blood lactate concentration, their rating of perceived exertion were all simultaneously measured. Rating of perceived exertion was strongly correlated with heart rate and blood lactate. And the researchers concluded that the Borg's RPE seems to be an affordable, practical, and valid tool for monitoring and prescribing exercise intensity independent of gender, age, exercise modality, physical activity level, and coronary artery disease status. So, as you can see, the correlation of performance versus perceived exertion during physical activity has been and continues to be an area of considerable scientific interest. The idea that although exertion is unique to every individual, it can still be used as a subjective estimate of the work intensity across a variety of populations. And I think this is really important. The intensity at which we all exercise is important because all the risks of things like musculoskeletal injuries and potential disorders arising from mismatching where you are in your fitness journey and the exercise intensity that you choose is a big problem. We need to avoid the too much too soon issue at all costs and monitoring your RPE is a very helpful tool to have in your injury proofing toolkit. So, okay, let's get to something actionable. Starting tomorrow, when you exercise, instead of staring at your Fitbit, your Apple Watch, or your Garmin Forerunner, I want you to start rating your own exertion. You can rate it in your head. You don't need to write it down or anything <laughs> fancy like that. After all, this eventually needs to become automatic and ingrained if it's going to work for you. Now, this feeling of exertion should combine all sensations of physical stress effort, and fatigue, including things like how hard it is to breathe, how much your muscles are burning, how badly you want to stop the workout, and how in control you feel of your body. And this even includes changes in your vision and your hearing, which is something us long-distance athletes are familiar with. The vision gets kind of sharp, but sometimes your ears get a little plugged. It's a weird thing. But anyway, now, once you've spent some time thinking about that and you become more aware of how your body feels at different levels of exertion, you need to determine how your RPE scores line up with a particular training pace or a workout type. 
Now for new exercisers, this may take some time, but for you experienced athletes out there, here's an estimate of some common workouts and their Borg scale rating. Let's start with a recovery run. That would be a seven to eight. A long, slow distance run, which people are familiar with if they've trained for something like a marathon, that's a nine to a 12. And maybe a tempo run, which is a half to marathon race pace, would be a 13 to 14. Then something like a threshold bike ride or a 10 mile race pace, that would be a 15 to 16. Then a VO2 max workout or like some really heavy high intervals would be a 17 or an 18. And then a max effort like a one mile run or a Tabata set would be a 19 to 20. So when you start applying this scale to, let's say you're running, a comfortable run should feel like a 9 or a 10. A run where you just let yourself go and you run at that comfortably uncomfortable pace that we all love, well that would be more like a 15 or a 16. And then an 800 meter interval, which is twice around a track usually, or some hill repeats would be more like a 17 or an 18. And what about a 20 you ask? Well. Picture the final kilometer of a 10k race where you've been truly giving it your all, not just out there having fun. Or perhaps that last time that you do the last set of burpees during a Tabata set where your legs are turning to jelly and your lungs are on fire. Or picture that time when you told your parents that you would be home by 10 o'clock and you still have a few blocks to go before you get home and it's already 9.58 and you're trying to maintain that all-out sprint to avoid getting grounded again. Well, yeah, that's a 20. Okay, so you might be wondering, why do I need this, Brock? It's all interesting and stuff, but what am I going to do with this? Well, okay, have you ever arrived at the pool or the park and realized that you forgot your activity tracker at home, or perhaps you have it, but the battery is at 1%, or maybe you want to do a quality workout while you're on vacation or on a business trip and you don't have any of your tech with you, or you're at the gym and you know that the treadmills, the rowing machines, and elliptical trainers and step machines and stuff are notoriously poorly calibrated, so you don't want to rely on them, or Perhaps you just don't want to or are unable to shell out the money for yet another piece of gear. Well, isn't it good to know that your own internal heart rate monitor and GPS and all that stuff is functioning just as well as that $500 watch that you nearly got pressured into buying? I think so. And if you're someone who's been coached by me or someone like me, you'll know that I generally give my athletes a nature workout at least every two weeks. And this is important for two reasons. Sometimes we're all so hung up on hitting our paces, our numbers, our steps, or heart rates that we just forget to actually enjoy the fact that we're out in the sunshine or the rain or the snow or whatever, moving our bodies and what a wonderful thing that is. And it's also really good for your nervous system to simply unplug occasionally. And this goes double for us wired fitness folks who also spend our day in front of a computer with a phone in our pocket. And finally, as Emmy Award-winning chief medical correspondent for CNN and practicing neurosurgeon Sanjay Gupta told Oprah, Sometimes it's better to ignore the stats and listen to your body instead. You'll probably feel calmer if you just give yourself a chance to unplug. And I couldn't agree more. All right, thanks for listening to this episode of Second Wind Fitness. 
My name is Brock Armstrong, reminding you to get out there and move more of your body more often in more and more interesting ways. And take off your activity tracker every once in a while.